Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wackler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. Now, I want to ask you a few questions. A. Do you want to work from home in future? B. Do you want to work in the job you have, maybe, but do it remotely from another country? And then more generally, do you think that working from home is our long-term future or, or even a partial work from home future? Well, I'm joined by a couple of people to discuss this today. Dee Coakley is the CEO of Boundless and Ellie Donnelly is my colleague in the Irish Independent Business Reporter. You're both welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Dee, this week, uh, Facebook said that it is going to allow um, its staff to do two things. One, to work from home, to apply to work from home for good if they want. And two, a portion of them will be allowed to work abroad outside Ireland for the first time. Do you think this is generally a sign of things to come in our working lives? Absolutely. Uh, There was a huge movement in this direction before covid and we founded our business, which is an international employment and pay- payroll platform. We founded it probably about a year before COVID. And we we founded it in response to this, this big movement of workers being more mobile. Now, it was fairly focused on the tech sector at that point in time. Um, I myself had a background in the tech sector and had handled these challenges and knew that there was huge demand for a solution. What we have seen over the last year is that we are now talking to companies in all kinds of sectors, manufacturing, um, energy, uh, media companies. There, there are companies across the board that maybe were reluctant to embrace this before, but they're now either feeling that they're being pushed in that direction due to employee demand, or they found that remote has worked really well for them over the last year. And, and they're starting to have it form part of their strategy around their people. Okay, I'm going to get into some of the bigger implications of that later on, but I'll just ask you off the top. Does that mean that we're going to see, if not a clear out, a thinning out of the tech scene in Dublin, which is a very big employment scene in Dublin? I think we need to remember that there are huge numbers of people from all over the world that want to work remotely from where they're working right now and where they want to go to is Dublin. Um, we employ many Irish people, or not not necessarily Irish people, people from other countries who have come here to work for European and US tech companies. We we have some company founders, US company founders that have relocated to Ireland during the pandemic. So uh, 
there, there, there's movement. People are moving right now. There, people are moving all over the world. And they were throughout the pandemic. A lot mm. of people made country moves during that time. Um, yeah, it, we're going to see a lot more of it, but but in and out, I think. Okay, so it swings and roundabouts. Um, Ellie, can you just briefly explain what your working setup is at the moment? Um, I'm lucky in a way that my flatmate moved out just before the pandemic hit and the landlord was quite relaxed because at that point we just thought this is just going to be a few weeks. So he was very much, you can have the spare room and mm. that's the office. So I'm, I think I'm one of the more fortunate ones in that I actually have a spare room office. Um, but it, it means, you know, I am in the apartment all the time. I'm living on my own and that can be tricky sometimes. I think one of the disadvantages in my case from working from home is the casual learning that you you would pick up in an office environment that you just don't get at all from working from home. So say it might be overhearing somebody dealing with a problem that mm. or experience that when it comes up, then in time, you, you may encounter that same problem and you just don't really have that previous learning experience to deal with it, especially for people in the early stages of their careers or even like if you're having a bad day, you know, you can ring your friends or you can ring your flatmates or talk to your flatmates, but they may not necessarily know kind of how that is working for you or, or why mm. that is the case, because unless they work in the same industry, very often they can't really relate to it. Whereas I think when you're in an office environment, it's very easy in a situation like that to grab somebody for a tea for 10 minutes, talk it through. And then suddenly you're like, oh, actually it's grand now, you know, whereas working from home without that kind of interaction of your colleagues, you're like, oh God, this is just the worst thing in the world. Um, mm. So in, in some respects, yeah, it's okay. But I think going forwards, I would definitely be in the camp of wanting a hybrid workplace. And I think the, the casual learning that you get from an office environment is so invaluable, regardless of what stage of your career that you're at. But in particular, if you're in the early stages of your career, that whole mentorship is an awful lot easier to have in place in mm. an environment. And I think it is really, really key, particularly, as I said, for younger members of staff with perhaps less experience. So even if you could work in another country, and I'm sure in our fantasies, we all have a list of places that you know, we might like to try working from for a while. I know that you like to travel as well. But even if you could work in another country, say in the job you're in at the moment, for mm -hmm. example, um, would you want to do it from an apartment or would you want to be in an office situation there? I think hybrid. I really do. I think, you know, yeah, it's handy sometimes when, you know, you're waiting on something that's being delivered to your house or you just can't face a commute. Obviously, the working from home, it's got a lot of advantages. I would imagine for parents at times, it's got an awful lot more advantages. Mm. But as I said, it goes back to that learning environment. I do think that there is a nice thing to be in that structured place where you can just grab somebody and say, hey, what's your thoughts on this? Rather than sending an email, picking up the phone. It's just that time issue comes into it as well. Sometimes it's just so much easier to get something done in an office environment. It's so much easier to discuss a problem and just to get a quick answer. And sometimes you just need an answer like that. And if you're waiting on an email response or waiting on somebody to ring you back, it just delays it and drags things out. Mm, yeah. Um, D, if kind of a more distributed working or remote working world uh, becomes a reality, or and maybe with a cross-border element as well, what do you think not to get too deep, but what do you think that might mean for cities as we know them? I think it's going to have a huge impact. Like we, we must remember that, of course, there are lots of organisations that will revert to the office. And there are certain sectors and organisations where they need to have people co-located. 
Um, there are also lots of reasons why organizations might have individuals based in specific countries or one country. Uh, so it's, you know, we're not looking at a future here where it's all change and suddenly everyone is is working from remote locations. But we're in a transitionary period. We're about to see or are in the middle of seeing huge changes happen as a result of everything that's happened across the world over the last 14 months. How we work and where we work from are just two of the components or, or elements of change. And I dare say that as the world evolves and the other changes in other aspects of our lives that, that we see that are linked to the pandemic, they will also further inform more change in how we work. In the remote work world, there was definitely, um, amongst people that have been involved in remote work for, for quite a few years, there would definitely be an acknowledgement and appreciation that effective remote work is very, very different to what most of us have seen over the last 14 months. What we were seeing over the last 14 months was an emergency remote work. Mm. And in an ideal world, an organization, if they are to have a distributed team, the organization will be set up as remote first. And our organization is a remote first business. Um, one of my co-founders is Irish, but lives in France. We, we always knew we were going to be a distributed team. And our, our, our team are across eight countries. We we established processes, styles of communication, ways of collaborating that are very aligned with this type of working and very aligned with not being in an office together. Now, I personally am a huge fan of in-person collaboration. You know, I believe there's huge value in it. When we founded the company, we always said that we would have regular team retreats. We were thinking it would probably be every 10 months or so. Obviously, that hasn't been possible. But an organization like ours, we have structures, processes, ways of communicating that, that mean that you're removing a lot of those friction points that you see if you take what's happening in the office and try to apply it mm. to Zoom email and slack but isn't that isn't that tim cook's point i mean tim cook for an apple the absolute polar opposite to what facebook is saying um tim cook told apple's you know six thousand employees in cork last week i really want you back in the office in september and for many of the reasons that you're articulating now that uh it's just more creative it's a better environment and that's why that what's that's what makes us who we are yeah, and collaboration, in-person collaboration, there's something magic about that. Depending on the nature of your organization and the types of roles that people are in, that form of collaboration isn't always a daily activity. It can be in some organizations, and for those, they will need to have people co-located, or at least some of their teams co-located. But this, this culture of remote working and distributed teams, it really started with software engineers. Software engineers are allocated work that they'll use software tools that break down the pieces of work that everyone is due to do. And people are given what's called a, a ticket. They'll have a piece of work to work on. They go away, they work on that on their own. They mark it as complete when it's done. Move on to the next piece of work. It's work that works very, very well from a, a quiet space where you are quite isolated and you know, for anyone like me, who's an operations person coming into a software environment, when you first start working and, 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 you know, for me, that was 12, 13 years ago. When you first start working in this environment, it seems very strange because these people are, are siloed. They're sitting alone at their desks. They may all be in Huge the same headphones, headphones. And, and everyone communicates through the likes of Slack or, you know, when I started working in tech, it was Skype Messenger. People don't talk to each other. This thing of having a quick question, that is considered mm. very bad form and etiquette 
in a software engineering type environment, you don't go and tap someone on the shoulder because you'll break their concentration. So well, let me tell you, there's there's some journalists like that as well. <laughs> uh, um, and and by the way, I myself, I'm not a million miles away from that. So I sit quite close to Ellie. And in our little uh, space, there are some who love a little bit of you know banter and a bit of chat. There are some who will are middling, which I can't myself, will partake in some banter, sometimes have the headphones on. And then there are one or two that just don't come near me, you know, uh, which is totally fine. That's and, and I think you're describing, I, I think it would be an extreme to call them misanthropes, but it's toward that. I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and, you know, the reality is we are now seeing a world where flexibility, flexibility is what everyone wanted before the pandemic. But we are potentially seeing a world now where your work style and where you work from and how you work can be matched to your personality type. And your preferred style of working. And now if companies are hiring based on certain types of skills that are needed for certain roles and they make sure that match is there and the style of working is there, you are going to see a society where there are far more happy people. There are some people where their idea of hell is going to an office every day. Hmm. That's often how the narrative is framed. I have to tell you, when you turn on the radio at the weekend or during the day and people are typically talking heads um, Ali, I'm not sure if you'd agree with this. The talking heads that you normally hear uh, on this topic are people who are in their 40s or 50s and they have their lives set up. They have families, they have associations, they have a suburban house with a front and a back garden. They don't want to go to nightclubs. They don't want to meet new people. They're not necessarily looking for an instant promotion in their career. And they're very, very happy just to uh, sit in their spare room or out in the back garden, and they don't have the same imperative to to meet new people, to learn, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, agreed. And I think as well, like that, that's one thing that we go back to the space issue. Then you know, for a lot of people, you know, there's there's no back garden in this apartment complex. You just you, you get on with it, and the balcony is the outdoor space. And yeah, the the living room now is my gym. It's my canteen. It it has been for the past fifteen months, and it, it is. I find it more difficult, and maybe that's just the world that we're living in now, where your work is fundamentally on your phone for an awful lot of people. But it is harder mm. to switch off when you know to leave the office on a Friday evening is just to close the door in one room, and then you walk into the living room, and and that's it. And you're supposed to kind of. It's an awful lot harder. And I would be somebody who would quite often walk or cycle to and from the office, and just having that space that kind of forces you in the mornings of like guaranteed 30 minutes of fresh air before I got into the office and you can say okay I can do that now and in my case I start work every day around half six roughly I set my alarm every morning at half five and if I get up and take fresh air once in that week I'm, I'm doing really really well because whereas when I worked in the office it was that well, I have to, I have to be somewhere at half six in the morning. And so it's an awful lot easier mm-hmm. to hop up on the bike then. Um, and that's another element of it that, yeah, you can say, oh, I have way more time in theory to take exercise. But another thing as well, when you're working from home, nobody can physically see that you're still working at four o'clock in the evening. So there's nobody there that's mm-hmm. going to be like, you need to get out of here. You're doing it on yourself. So it is harder at times to find that 20 or 30 minutes of me time for the exercise before or after work at times. Yeah, yeah. The, <clears throat> these are all good points. Dee, um, some of the the rest of the discussion I find is framed not unreasonably in the sense of what uh, employees and staff would prefer and what they would like. And I sometimes wonder whether that is in a bit of a bubble in the tech industry because 
the tech industry is still a boom industry. It is very low in employment. In general, um, staff can, uh, they can write their own tickets in many respects. It's not unusual for someone to disagree with an ethical position, for example, that their company might have on a service uh, that they're providing to somebody and just quit because they know they'll have another job in, you know, three or four weeks. It, It might be an exceptional industry in that regard and not wholly representative. Do you yeah, think? It, that's, I think that's all fair, Adrian. And, and when you say, I mean, if someone's a software engineer, they will literally have a job within 24 hours. It's not three or four weeks. Yeah. I've often interviewed yeah. a software engineer, called the next day to offer the job and they say, oh, I went to another interview after yours and they gave me a contract in the interview. That, that happens a yeah. lot in London. Um, and by the way, good, good for yeah, them, by the way. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think it's not, fair no. to say that the tech sector, relatively speaking, has a very loud voice relative to its size when it comes to the media Mm. and it's very very true that um we hear a lot from the tech sector about this and and when we talk about remote work there are a lot of references to the the facebook's and the apples of the world and so on but we're we're definitely seeing this across lots of other sectors um and there certainly they might not be making they don't have the public profile maybe of these other companies but there are certainly organizations that have you know hundreds or or thousands tens of thousands of employees that are currently busy working on their long-term strategy around Mm. remote work and quite often um around international remote work uh and they they are making moves in this direction for sure now you know we don't know what proportion of all sectors or what proportion of all jobs are potentially looking at being remote. Nobody knows that. We just don't have the data. Google thinks it'll be a fifth and Facebook thinks it might be as much as half. (coughs) Apple, on the other hand, is trying its best to make sure it's much lower than that. (coughs) The data points here will be very interesting. Within 18 months, we should have an idea as to which system is working out better in terms of which companies are more productive and therefore which firms are setting the agenda, which are the more successful companies and which are the the the, the lesser, um, the, le- the least successful companies in, in that regard. Um, I just want to ask you, either of you, if you talk to somebody, you know, <clears throat> the guy in the street, the woman on the street about this, in terms of working abroad, for example, I'm wondering what impact that might have. And I'm going back to Facebook now on things like rents, house prices, the local economy. Um, even if you don't work abroad, let's say remote working takes off. I'm thinking of Indeed, which told all of its staff they could work from home. I know somebody who, on the strength of that, went home to her home county of Waterford and bought a house there and now lives there and works for indeed. What effect does that have on things like rents and housing and, and the economy in Dublin? So, yeah, I mean, if you talk to any estate agents around the country, they are selling houses to people who are moving down from Dublin. I, I personally know quite a few people who've done that. Um, mm. You have to imagine that eventually it may have some impact on, on housing prices here. There is such pent-up demand in Dublin. Well, if you just take the top line figures, let's take Facebook. Facebook employs, believe it or not, 6,000 people now in Dublin. I thought it was three or 4,000. It's actually 6,000. I checked this morning. Let's say 10% of Facebook's 6,000 employees go to live in France or Spain or Germany or Holland or any one of the seven countries that they will be allowed to live in and still work for Facebook here in Dublin. That's 600 people, probably paid higher than uh, average 
uh, and that's 600 potential t- apartments or houses that come up for uh, availability. Now imagine the same thing happens with Google. Google employs 8,000 8, people. All of a sudden, you might have 1,000, 2,000 uh, units that come up for availability. You, cer- certainly, those kinds of numbers to me sound very realistic, but you may see that number mm. of people leaving from those organizations. Bear in mind that during the, the pandemic, a lot of Irish people living abroad have also had an existential crisis. And there are lots of people who are looking at moving home. Those people mm. now have access to high quality, high paid remote work for US companies, European companies, perhaps the company and the job that they're currently in. And they, they can live in Ireland. And, and we're, you know, because. Are you, are you seeing much? Yeah, of that? we are. Lots of it. I, I mean, many people, certainly every week we would hear from, we hear quite a lot. We sell to the employer, that's our customer, but we do get a lot of inquiries, particularly from Irish people, because we obviously have Irish connections who are currently looking at making that move back home and they're trying to convince their employer or they've they've applied for a job and they're trying to convince that employer that they can be easily employed in Ireland. Mm. There's a lot of movement coming that direction as well. Mm. Yeah. What I've heard from there's two kind of groups I could put my friends into. There's the ones that have been like, I'm never going to be able to afford in Dublin. And this is really hammering that home for me who are looking at very slowly looking at moving down the country, but I'm talking still got to rent in Dublin for another year or so and, and see how it goes. Mm. And then there's the other half who, because there was the restrictions, particularly in the early days have become so, so incredibly familiar with their local area because there was not a whole lot to do except go for walks in the local park that have now decided that the exact area they live in Dublin, that's the area that they want to buy in and that they don't really want to look. They want to not just stay in Dublin, but stay in this one particular area. Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome, exactly, is what's happening. And it's there's three or four friends that I've spoke to about it and they say, no, this this is the exact area. The one that I'm in now is where I want to stay because I know. Isn't that interesting how that happens when you you live somewhere for a while and it's maybe not somewhere you would have thought of ultimately settling down, but then you kind of get to become familiar with it and you actually grow to quite like it. And that's their thing. They know every shop owner now. They're on really good terms with every shop owner. They know every park or people, all the people hanging out in the park because this has been their bubble, if you like, for the last year and Mm. a half. This has been the only place that they could be fundamentally. And they're like, no, this is... This is where we want to be now. Hopefully you're talking about here on the north side. It, it did, that was one of the places, yeah. One yes, of the places. That's one, sorry. Um, and uh, be, I kind of pausing whether or not to bring this into the conversation or not, because it's a separate discussion. But one of the things that I dislike about conversations of big tech companies and property and that sort of stuff in Dublin is if you scratch the surface in a heated discussion about it, you're never that far away from somebody saying, you know, what good is all these are all these, you know, foreign workers coming over here and, you know, putting pressure on the the housing supply. I, I see it all the time when I report on on new jobs announcements, for example, from the multinationals. You know, one in three responses on social media will always be great. So now we'll have it'll even be more unaffordable in the place that I grew up in. And I'm wondering whether um, this might be an inadvertent safety valve on that, on that kind of ugly uh, expression, whether uh, maybe a drive towards remote working, some people moving to 
uh, totally out of choice to other cities down the country, maybe even to other countries, might be a, a very fortunate self-correcting tool. And, and basically, that's the government off the hook here, by the way, because it's a terrible indictment on the lack of ambition for Dublin that these issues end up you know, creating this kind of tension anyway. Yeah, this, we're certainly going to see some kind of um, stabilising. And I'm looking at this from an international perspective because of what I do. And we are seeing more and more people in very well-paid roles living in rural areas. And this is international, it's not mm. just uh, in Ireland. That has a, quite an impact on a local economy. Um, I'm involved with an organisation called Grow Remote here in Ireland that now has chapters in countries across the world. And they are focused on, it's a not-for-profit, focused on um, focused on encouraging remote work as a means to support rural areas and to create thriving local communities through having people in well-paid jobs in these communities. Now, some of those people might not be originally from that area, but generally, if someone's moving to a rural area, that's a lifestyle choice. They're doing it because they want to connect with people locally. They want to get involved. They want to send their kids to the local school. They maybe want to coach at the local kids' GAA, whatever it is. Those things are great for a local community. And if those people and those families are bringing incomes that are a multiple of what's generally seen locally for work locally, that is a few families like that moving into an area with a small population can have a really great impact. Um, so it's certainly something that kind of stabilizing aspect of having people moving to the rural areas with their higher incomes, mm. freeing up perhaps property for people to move into to Dublin who might not be on quite such high incomes. This could be a very positive thing, but but it's you know it is it's movement internationally, not just not just across Ireland. Mm. So uh, a lot of the outcomes will depend on what happens in other countries also. Can can you relate to that? Do you or do you live rural? Uh, I live in Dublin. I am currently yeah. looking to buy a place in the west of Ireland. I do think I'll huh. be splitting my time, uh, but I used to travel a lot. I don't see myself traveling as much now after this pandemic. Mm. Um, I yeah, I don't. I, I lived abroad for years. I lived abroad for about fourteen, fifteen years. I'm I'm very happy here now, so I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. But I like to know that I have the option. And, you know, my colleagues, myself and my co-founder, Eamon, who, who you know, Adrian, we are, I think, the only two people in our company who actually live in the country that we were originally from. We have a very international mm. team, people across eight countries, but most people are living in a country that's not where they grew up. Uh, so... You'll, you'll never take, I don't care where he lives, you'll never take the Dubliner out of Fame and <laughs> That's very true. I don't think he has any plans to move to the country. <laughs> mm. So where would you consider? Would you? Uh, um, I'm going to make a pitch here for Belmullet in uh, County Mayo. I, I've also I've been having that pitch for my aunt as well. My parents are both from Mayo. Ah, Bel, Belmullet seems a little far from Dublin for me. Uh, Belmullet is the unfashed. Belmullet's the north side of Mayo, <laughs> which makes it very, very. Uh, uh, it, I'm very comfortable there. It's not the D4, which or Mayo 4, which is down around Lewisburg, Westport, where a lot of people. Uh, gravitate towards, for understandable reasons, spectacular scenery, um, nice services there as well. But you get a few other things up in the north of the county that uh, you don't quite uh, get in the south. Anyway, but uh, um, well, that sounds like an exciting plan anyway. So you're it's kind of living what you're preaching as well. I am looking, I'm looking yeah. at almost everywhere coastal, but Mayo is top of the list. You'll be happy. What about you, Ellie? What's your, uh, where would be your preference? If you had, if you 
won the lottery tomorrow or you became you know editor of the irish independent and you were allowed to live anywhere where would you live am i restricted to ireland or can i live no no anywhere oh, i would go back and live in melbourne i spent almost two years there mm. and there's a reason it's constantly top three most livable cities in the world it is phenomenal if you're anyway into sport and i'm a lot into sport it is the best city for sport it's best it's great for food it's great for yeah that's and sir yeah everything sorry i could like we can wow. employ you. We can employ you through Bandit. So no problems for the independent Ellie. Tell them. Tell them. Yeah. That it's bit, up bit, of a, bit of a time zone issue, maybe. Slight time zone but, issue, but yeah, that would be where I'd be tomorrow in a heartbeat. Also, and, and I just have to say, I'm not sure this will make the cut in the podcast, but you're in a Liverpool stronghold there. That Melbourne is a big Liverpool uh, sporting city. I, However, I've immediately changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, guys, thanks a million for coming on and uh, talking a very, very wide ranging discussion there about the topic. I wish we had more time to go into to more detail. Um, but uh, D, uh, BoundlessHQ.com, is that the website? That's it, yeah. Okay. And you can catch Ellie's articles daily on independent.ie or in the Irish Independent. And you can also catch some of my articles in, in independent.ie as well, sometimes in the Sunday Independent or the Irish Independent. Um, and you can also catch me here every week on Friday uh, and uh, indeed throughout the week because that's how podcasts work. So for me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.